got some gravy on your face or poo. It's probably chocolate. Oh yeah, chocolate holes. I'm Chris. No. <laughs> um, hello, hello, are you there? Hello, hello, hello. That's it. Welcome to the Refigure podcast for arts, culture, tech and diversity. This is the check-in series. I'm Reefa. And I'm Christopher. So, on tonight's show, we're going to talk about zombie Korean drama series Kingdom, set in the 15th century. It's on Netflix. It's a couple of series you can watch, starring Bae Doona and Jaji Hoon. We're also going to talk about hit ITV drama, the three-part series Quiz. Quiz. About the famous cheats, allegedly who went on who wants to be a millionaire back in the early 90s is it when did it first start it's the late 90s late early 90s because remember there's the scene where 9-11 happens just when that's right a big thing's happening early in two, the quiz show early it's early 2000s yeah and they also have really terrible mobile phones and reception yeah. that one stars Char- Char- <laughs> charlie sheen that one stars michael sheen <laughs> as chris tarrant yeah very well he does too with that yeah. role how are you Aoife? I'm very well thank you how are you yeah actually really good feeling pretty chilled and positive about everything made a big difference to have enough food in the house to not feel like we were scrimping have you done any exercise yeah jumping jacks not jumping jacks no but i'm actually i honestly feel fitter than i've been for a long time because i've been trying to do exercise every morning to make up for not going out so much but in reality back in the days when we were allowed to wander around i probably wasn't doing enough exercise this is more i think well my hair looks better than it's ever done because i'm not going outside yeah that's why it looks so no wind messing it up yeah i'm not going to say anything about my hair so what do you want to talk about first should we talk about kingdom first okay cool it is an amazing show so kingdom is the first time that one of netflix's own production has been a korean show and it's run for two seasons, and it is there is a third season coming, I think. It's based on this um, famous anime comic book series called Kingdom of the Gods, and it's the same writer, which is Kim Yun-hee. It's basically a show about what happens if you get a zombie apocalypse in the kind of very controlled society and hugely hierarchical society of 15th century feudal Korea. Is that a fair way of saying it? Yeah. I mean, I thought we were, I think it's the best thing we've watched this year. I thought it was amazing. What did you think of it? I loved it. I have to give a shout out to the other box who told me about it um, on Twitter. They said that it was the best thing that they've been watching. Um, I love the fact that they've got like this kind of obsession with protocol and uh, hierarchy. And that even in the face of gazillion zombies coming to bite them, um, they are worried about <laughs> are worried about convention and not doing the right thing. So there's a scene in it. I'm sorry, there's a spoiler. Um, there's a scene in it where they tell all the villagers that these bodies of the zombies have to be burnt, 
and all the noble people get really upset because you can't do this to their family. This is really prevalent at the moment, but I just found that really kind of heartbreaking considering what we're going through at the moment in this country, in the world, but also um, the lengths that people went to. So they had to explicitly say to some of the soldiers, um, no matter what they're wearing, noblemen and uh, and peasant alike, you have to kill these people who are zombies, get them in the head. And uh, I'm not a massive zombie um, aficionado, but I was a bit surprised that they run so fast in this series as well. I love this about Korean um, films, you know, just generalising, that they have this kind of slapstick humour as well as the horror, as well as the, the intense emotional drama of it all. Some of the acting is just brilliant. You know, the forgotten prince and the intrigue around the uh, family who are trying to take control of the crown. The, all of that stuff is super intense um, because it's a costume drama as well. I did have difficulty sometimes getting who was who on which side of because they all have these crazy hats on and these bonkers <laughs> costumes. But um, it's absolutely beautifully shot. Korea is clearly a stunning country and the um, countryside and the sets are beautiful so it's just brilliantly done it's a bit game of thronesy and it's got some zombie action in it so it's all good fun when they're kind of battening down the hatches and and getting yeah, all medieval the gates and all that. knocking the gates so this horde is coming towards them but they've got guns and there's and the zombies don't and they just bite you <laughs> and make you an undead um it made me think a bit of westerns like oh, cowboys yeah, yeah. and indians yeah. so that felt a bit awkward as well watching that but also um i really love this uh, i think it's probably a convention in some of the the few korean things i've watched films i've watched of doing like this massive twist like twists that happen in the middle of the film and then they fill you in with what's happening they don't do a lot of exposition like they do in most western films they do a thing where they just show you a scene that you didn't see before to give you the context yeah, of to what's catch happened. you up on why something happened or yeah. what was going on yeah they do let you the mystery unfold don't they in a beautiful way and they also don't use so many words now we tried watching it with the um dubbed version first and we felt we could just sense that we're missing out on something especially if you try and watch the dub and the subtitles by accident we did that and you see that the subtleties you know and you see this in all the japanese films as well like all the all them films as well yeah. in the studio ghibli films you feel that as well like they really make the characters too kind of um you lose the subtlety of what they're saying it did feel like it was a parable and that they were trying to make a point by doing this whole thing of that such deference to power and such control over people's lives is basically what causes the zombie apocalypse in the first place, that people are so hesitant to even question the word of someone if they're higher up the social chain. That felt like a modern point being made as well. I also think there was something around um, the conventions of ritual and who gets the throne was very came with thrones it was but yeah. also yeah there was a whole thing about starving the people and not giving them what they needed and resources and holding on to that and revolution and keeping people down and the workers down the thing about korean stuff as well especially in this one is that over and over again we were like 
I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Like if it throws out all conventions that we understand, like in West, in Western films, often you're like, oh, this is a mystery. Oh, but you guess in the first five minutes of who's, what's going on. There's like a bit of that, you know, like controlling going on. Or unfolding also, layers of perception yeah. as you go. Yeah. And yeah. that they don't give away too much too soon. The first episode, first couple of episodes are so slow, but you don't feel, it feels like a really rich dessert that you're like yeah. eating really slowly. And another thing that they do as well is that people are really distraught in it. You know, like when someone, they're really, it's not like in some films where they just kind of, someone dies and they just get on with it or something really awful happens and they just get on with some other part of the scene. They don't reflect back on that. It's like they really get deep into the emotions of everybody around them. Like the idea of the king dying at any point is so horrific for everybody that it's like, you know somebody in that really close in their family's died yeah. so it's like they'll go on about that for quite some time and that's partly what makes it more believable more exciting is that even that we're in the middle of this crazy zombie battles like incredible huge set pieces that would be worthy of any big hollywood film or whatever the huge things or the moments of really stupid slapstick that go in there like there's a certain way they film fighting sometimes where it's choreographed where it's funny some of the killing even is funny but at the same time within that, because the performances are so good and because the grief and the hurt feels so real when people are upset, it gives it this weight that it wouldn't have otherwise that's really strong. Yeah, it is really good. Yeah. I really recommend. That yeah. is called Kingdom and it's on Netflix at the moment. Um, the other show that we are going to chat about is well, everyone's been chatting about this. It's not. This is more of a. I don't. When you say everyone, you just mean the people that you follow on Twitter. Oh yeah, like it's people very in my arrogant bubble. to think that everyone you're following different people. I do think it got massive viewing figures and lots of. People I only were vaguely about heard about it. Okay? okay, it was only because there was a hashtag for it. Well, anyway, it's called Quiz, <laughs> and it's about um, Charles and Diana Ingram who are the couple who cheated on who wants to be a millionaire and it's the true story of their their plan and how they executed it and then their trial the man who has the questions may be king but the man who has all the answers is god are you ready to play we're watching people making life changing decisions final answer yeah final answer i'm a commissioned officer in the british army there are standards Why did you change your mind so often? So that's what the producers want. It's the, the, um, the, 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 the drama, the tension. Exactly. It's built around a couple of tour de force performances. So Charles Ingram is played by Matthew McFadden, fresh from his incredible turn in succession, which was really brilliant. Um, Diana Ingram is played by Sean Clifford, who exploded into sort of national consciousness via Fleabag, where she plays Fleabag's uptight sister. Also, it's got people like Ashlyn B in it in minor roles and Mark Bonner. Oh, and I should say, it's quite a kind of meta show because it's ITV making a film about an ITV TV show in which some cheating happened. Therefore, 
all of their different motives are really like the money and the the questions around what happened are really fascinating when you consider this is an ITV drama but it all hangs on this incredible central performance of actually it doesn't all hang on him I don't know why I said that but it's a really brilliant central performance by Michael Sheen doing what he does where he gets into a real person and plays them really amazingly well playing Chris Tarrant and it was that was a great performance but the whole thing is full of great performances I was very snobby about going into it thinking this is an ITV drama and even though people were going on about it online we barely ever watch ITV like it would be it's such a rare thing for us to stick ITV on and we did and even better for some reason it ran without any commercials on the ITV website so I think maybe because of coronavirus they've ditched the advertising or maybe they can't sell any of it I don't know but we didn't have to sit through any shitty adverts they ran it's a three-part series we accidentally started watching episode two before anything else and we watched the first three minutes and episode two basically begins when they go on the programme, when Charles Ingram is on the quiz. And it felt like we'd been jumped into this amazing starting point where it just was a replication <laughs> of the whole programme without anything around it. Then we realised about three minutes in and we went back to the beginning. Um, and as I say, I was pretty like, oh, we'll watch this, it'll be crap, but we'll watch it, it'll be fun crap. But actually, I thought it was really brilliant. Um, did you enjoy it as much as I did, Reefa? I flipping love Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. When I first... <laughs> did you really? It, yeah. Wow. When I first... Though you were just snobby because when you grew up, you weren't allowed to watch anything commercial TV. So that's why you don't like ITV. But there were some cracking things. The other day I was thinking, what a groundbreaking show. Tis was was, all right? Tis was was. Exactly. Um, Chris Tarrant presented that as well, okay? Yes. Lady Henry and people like that. So anyway, I loved seeing how they constructed the programme in the first place, hearing them pitch to ITV, Celador, how they pitched the idea of a quiz show, which is super simple and you know the answer, general knowledge quiz uh, with four answers, you know, and uh, four possible answers. And it was such a simple quiz and such a simple idea that I remember at the time it being this fantastic pub quiz idea that we could all join in and it seems so super simple it's banal you know it's like ridiculous but the questions get slightly harder as you go along now I also remember it as a viewer being really into it at the beginning and then it get really boring so to see that sort of behind the scenes stuff where the programmers are realizing that there's something amiss that all the people that are going on the show seem to be very similar. They're all middle class. They're all super clever. They all seem to have a broad range of knowledge. And then you see the flip side of that, which is how Middle England has this underground network of quiz people who are obsessed and they have this whole like network and it reminded me of the spiritualism from the 18th century where people would share it was such a massive con they would share their findings and go around the country conning people and it's pretty typical you know and obviously this is before the internet really took off before google and search and so these people had this obsessive thing about people like us i.e normal people that's what i think they were they think that i people on telly want entertaining people who aren't white middle class or just boring okay so i remember when judith somebody i can't remember her name she was the first person to win who wants to be a millionaire won a million pounds and by that time, I was long gone, not watching it. It just seemed a bit weird that everybody was, was the same. 
anyway, we understand now why that was. There was this sort of syndicate or cross-referencing of ideas, and that was just to get on the show. And so they already on the programme realised that there are people who are multiple times getting on the show. But they didn't do anything about it. It's like that programme Chernobyl. It's like they saw a problem. It's like they Chernobyl. didn't they didn't even they didn't even try and do anything about it. Yeah, that's true. So it's again it's about like these sort of hierarchies, people trying to it's a very British thing, trying to break the system. That part of it was the scam, the game. And then the actual show when it occurs and you're like convinced because you're in the room with them, the program makers, the cameramen, and you start seeing how they use this code of coughing. However, the third part of the series is when we get into the courtroom and the trial is really compelling. It's tiny little British court, uh, you know, it's not got the, uh, the good fight, you know, epic sort of big courtroom drama of it it's a very small court right up until the end you're convinced that they did it that they had cheated and that they used this kind of weird coughing um, in order to tell the guy that was on the stand whether or not it not the stand what am I trying to say in the chair in the chair the guy that was answering the questions they had some sort of secret code and they coughed when he had the wrong answer by the end though they flip it and reverse it and say, oh, actually, they give you all this evidence to suggest that he just did his homework. Well, that's a, a sort of single tour de force performance from Helen McCrory, who plays their defence lawyer, who does a kind of big stand-up, hold on, tears down some of this evidence, like there were hundreds of coughs during that show. And uh, I mean, a really interesting detail that the prosecution case is built on a video that isn't edited together by the police it's edited together by the makers of the show before they give it to the police so they believe oh we've given them this edited video that shows why i mean this is a bit of a spoiler isn't it everything we talk about is a spoiler we're just reviewing something that went out so i think helen mccrory played sheree blair when michael sheen played tony blair a couple of times so that'd be really interesting if that was a kind of i mean they didn't do a scene together but oh they did do a scene a very brief scene together where he's Chris Tarrant on the witness stand. Anyway, I, I didn't think about that at the time, just thought about it. But you mentioned in passing the pitching of the show to ITV. When the guy at ITV says, it's a game show, the guy at Celador is going, no, it's a quiz. And that's, it's really important difference. And then he says, there's no time limit on how long people take to answer the questions. The ITV guy goes, well, that's ridiculous. Why won't you have a time limit? And he says, they're going through this process of trying to answer the question that human drama of deciding if you're going to take the money or take a risk on the question. That's where the magic of the show was. And obviously with the benefit of hindsight of knowing it was a super success, at least at the beginning, you can understand it, but you also, they managed to convey how difficult it was to persuade someone that that would work. It's that sort of nuts and bolts stuff. And the same with the defence lawyers, just brilliant performance that makes you think, hold on, maybe they didn't do it. Maybe they really didn't. Or certainly... Maybe Charles didn't know fuck all about it and it was something that was going on that he was just... It's really deeply unsatisfying at the end because justice is done 
i.e. they get found guilty, even though you kind of know some extra stuff that happens where the head of Celador goes to meet the guy who creates the syndicates and shows all the different ways that he's, you know, like like a serial killer confessing yeah. or a master boss. This like, is how I did it yes. all the way through. He sort of confesses everything, but then right at the end, he says, oh no, but that couple weren't in our, yeah, in our gang. Yeah, to do with us, yeah. In our quiz gang. God, I hate this. These are like, it's like so Brexit. All those people are really Brexit people. So you hate the couple all the way through because they're just nasty. Even when nasty things happen to them, you get a little sliver of sympathy for them. But at the end, at the end, you're like, oh, the judge himself is like, gives them a suspended sentence. You know, they don't have to do any jail time. And then you're like, oh, they kind of got away with it, but they didn't get the money, but they kind of didn't get punished. And it's just all of it is deeply unsatisfying. And I remember that feeling all around the country. People were debating whether they thought they did it or not. And that thing of like, oh, they're middle class and they're, well, upper middle class. He's a captain. His career was ruined. They couldn't possibly do it because they were good people. That was what the narrative was in the press. I wonder now you say that. If there was something they missed, they like missed a trick talking about the trial via public opinion, that this was very much a case where the punishment they got was nothing to do with the legal trial and it was all to do with the newspaper trial. Like at some point their dog gets killed. Someone actually literally murders their dog because they're so hated and they have to take their kids out of school and it's just absolutely appalling what happens to them but also it's something we see every day day in day out nowadays we know what that means this reputational thing and maybe they missed a trick in the production having more to say about that that was one of the first ones in British public life where reputational I think they said it I think it's not all right I think I was also going to say so you've pointed out that the end felt very unsatisfying but also there were a couple of really sour odd notes in it and the first one and maybe the biggest one was that bit where there's a dream sequence where suddenly oh, yeah. they do a song and dance number that and was that like totally... something out of singing detective no BBC. seriously that's a brilliant thought it really was it only got away with it because it was so short i sort of felt like within 10 seconds i was thinking this one thing is pulling the wheels off this show. It's, in the last series, it. in the last series of Pose, they did oh, like four or five episodes like that, which oh, is really? somebody's dream sequence. Yeah. yeah, I don't get it. Anyway, no filler. But it was a really fun series, and it was audacious and quirky. And there was a bit in it right at the beginning where they're trying to get Chris Tarrant to go on the show. That was really cool as well. We always just instinctively know he's one of the good guys, and in this series as well he ends up being somebody who just stands up for what he believes in and says what he thinks i love that yeah, it's a very affectionate portrayal of chris tarrant isn't it okay what are you reading for what are you reading for what are you reading for what are you reading chris i am reading oliver gray has a new book out this is his second non-fiction sort of memoir style travel book in a year Last season, I recommended his book about uh, traveling to the American Southwest to hear lots of amazing music. His new book is called Polly in My Pocket, uh, subtitled Cautionary Tales of Campervan Life. And it's about this um, campervan that um, Oliver and his wife Birgit bought for, for like retirement time and to go traveling around Europe in. And particularly, it's about an absolutely catastrophic, hilarious trip they went to Sicily or they 
tried to go to Sicily. I love Oliver's writing. He writes in a very simple, readable, chewy sort of way where his descriptions are really vivid, but he doesn't get over florid with them. And he's got a kind of dry, bittersweet wit about him. He's very um, honest about when he screws things up or when things go wrong. He's a lovely writer. So that is Polly in My Pocket. It's by Oliver Gray. I know him. He's a, he's a, an old friend, so I'm, I'm log rolling slightly a friend's words. But his books are genuinely fantastic. And he also doesn't realise. So he writes all these books and they're all really good. And then he goes, oh, I don't know if anyone will like it. But um, it's really lovely book. So Polly in My Pocket, Oliver Gray. It's published by Sarsen Press. Find out more about Oliver Gray's work in all sorts of fields at olivergray.com. Uh, what are you reading, my dear Reefer? Have I done this book before? I thought you did it a couple of episodes, like a couple of episodes oh. ago, but maybe you haven't, I don't know. I think I have. I am reading... I am Who reading... Is that? What is that? don't know. I'm reading uh, a collection of short stories by N.K. Jameson. I've mentioned her before because she's written a trilogy of books that are brilliant. She's the first author in history to win three consecutive Best Novel Hugo Awards. She does um, sci-fi, like, speculative fiction. And she's from New York. And this is her collection of short stories, How Long Till Black Future Month. And it's sort of really interesting. Somebody on Twitter was like, tell me about, tell me some, what books should I be reading, sci-fi books I should be reading. And then everybody says all the usuals, the old stuff. But there's a whole wave of new stuff. And then hardly anyone ever mentions this woman. Maybe because she's black. I don't know. But she still sells a lot of books. And this one, um, because we're in um, quarantine and we can't go out, I find it quite difficult to sit down and concentrate on a whole massive book. I, I read a whole collection of short stories last week. And I'm whizzing through her collection. And a lot of it is experiments of like stuff that she ends up writing novels about, like this idea of... Um, the central character having some connection to the earth and the city itself and being sort of like part monster part part of the earth as well like the can move the move the sewage system or move the bridges or break the bridges and there's a whole story i just read about almost like fighting with unseen forces as a superhero but like Japanese monsters like Godzilla fighting her style I think reminds me quite a lot of Ursula Le Guin's quite cold atmospheric and ethereal and they're just beautifully written but they're also like pretty serious things so she talks about all kinds of themes in her work but they are from the perspective of black characters which means as is lots of things in the world, you know, that when there are a lot of black characters or it's a predominantly black thing, a lot of um, Western people don't want to get involved in it for some reason, whereas we're supposed to consume all of their culture. Uh, She talks in this essay at the beginning, in 2002, I knew that as a black woman drawn to science fiction and fantasy, I'd almost no chance of getting my work published, noticed by reviewers or accepted by readership that seemed to want nothing more than endless variations on medieval Europe and American colonization. Um, she could have written something like that but it just didn't interest her she wanted to do something new and then she goes on a writing workshop and they say to her the best thing you can do is start 
writing short stories which is a classic sort of thing to do and it really hones your skill as a writer if you can create a, a world and the characters that people immediately understand and create a beginning middle end sometimes it doesn't always have an ending in some of their knockeries they didn't you know and leave you hanging but it's like a good experiment to see if things work um, she borrows the money from her dad to go on this writing workshop and then she says um, she writes an essay how long till black future month as opposed to Black History Month. When can we start thinking about the future for black people, understanding that she's an African-American? And she takes it from an essay that she wrote in 2013 about Janelle Monae, and it's a meditation on how hard it's been for her to love science fiction and fantasy as a black woman. Anyway, she like fast forward to the future and now she mentors up and coming writers of colour and she finds that there's so many more people out there who want to write books that are you know really bold and exciting and it's for everyone so now she talks a bit much more about the future it's a fascinating book i really interesting and um yeah to write a short story is super hard well that's our show that was really quick amazing so do you have anything to plug this week Rita? so i'm still doing my free weekly meditation groups i've cut them down to like 30 minutes every monday at seven o'clock and you need to really contact me to get the zoom details because still people are getting hassled with crazy strangers running into their zoom (laughs) meetings and doing bad things on the internet and i've also last week i did my first proper kind of zoom workshop around clarity and purpose and we had people from brighton and london and france and germany and um, ireland and they all joined in and they got loads out of it It was two hour workshops so i'm going to do another one of those next month on the 13th of may 13th of may is pay what you can lovely and how do people get details of that they can go to refigure-may2020.eventbrite.co.uk refigure-may2020.eventbrite.co.uk or they can look at anything to do with me on the internet that says RIFA on it. Excellent. Sounds great. Um, Have I got anything to plug? Not really, I don't think. See you next week. That was fun. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.